Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Isra Banks is a licensed architect in Massachusetts. She has specialized in design management and construction administration with a focus on mixed-use and multifamily residential properties. With a Master of Architecture, Isra also has a background in teaching at the college level with a focus on sustainable and viable neighborhoods. And two years ago, Isra launched her own architecture firm, Trivec Architects. She also has a YouTube channel and is working on a book. So hopefully we'll get to hear more about that as well. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Isra. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so great to chat with you again. Well, you know, my daughter wants to be an architect, so I know she is going to love learning about you. And she's eight years old. So were you one of those kids who just always knew you wanted to be an architect? Um, no. <laughs> no. No, I wasn't. Yeah. I always knew that I wanted to have my own business. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was more interested in science and medicine. And uh, going to architecture was a suggestion from my mom. So, architecture was uh, a suggestion from your mom? Yeah. So, That's so interesting. See, my mom told me not to do architecture. <laughs> tell me, Tell me about that. How did your mom decide to suggest architecture to you? I don't know what her thought process, but I think it came from the premises that I want to have a business and she Mm -hmm. would encourage that and that would, that would facilitate that. So, Mm -hmm. so probably that was her thought process or I don't know, but I did not know anything about architecture until the first day I was there. I, I was, I wanted to do electrical engineering. It wasn't Mm -hmm. my childhood thing, but since I loved physics and science and was like electrical engineering, maybe to me. And I wasn't happy there for two weeks. So mom says, well, I told you, let's try architecture. I'm like, okay, let's try it. <laughs> what, what, and, college, what was this? I'm sorry, what? what? What college was this? It was architectural engineering abroad. I, I, okay. I was born in England, spent my childhood there, and my teenage years were traveling around the world, so many countries. My early, In my early 20s, my family relocated and uh, settled in the United States. So, and so it was, it was a long journey. I don't think I realized that, that you were traveling so much as a teenager. What, why were you traveling? Was that for your parents' work? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. So you got to learn about all different countries and then your parents settled in the U.S. And yeah. you were, but you were going to college abroad? Yes. Okay. So you got to college and you were doing electrical engineering for like two weeks. It, you weren't happy. <laughs> and your mom was like, hey, try architecture. And you said, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Go ahead. Yeah, she did suggest that, but I was just stubborn. I said, well, what's architecture? I don't know what that is. It doesn't sound interesting and complicated enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> so no, but the first day in architectural school, it was mesmerizing. It was amazing. A lot of a lot of creativity, thinking outside the box, philosophy, so everything that you think that you want to learn about. So I was, uh, I was happy. 
And what was your, what were your parents' backgrounds? Were they also in the sciences? Yeah, yeah. Both of them were university professors specialized in physics. So they were both physicists. They were both physicists, but your mom knew you well enough to know that you would love architecture. (laughs) And she was right because the second you got there, you were were drawn in. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably she did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, why don't you walk us through your journey a little bit? So you graduated with your degree in architecture, is that right? Yep. Okay, and then what was your next step? Worked first uh, on a couple of schools. Then at that point, that was like one year after graduation, I moved to the U.S., Worked on banks with uh, Bank of America, and then the recession hit. <laughs> you were working on, when you say you're working on schools and banks, you mean you were working on designing them? No, as as a college graduate, you don't get to do a lot of design. You get mm-hmm. to help senior architects who've been doing things for, I don't know, 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who, who would do the actual design and you would be what we call drafting or doing the drawings for them. So that's where I was, I, yeah, at school, all these fun projects, you get to do the thinking outside the box and creativity, but um, the, the first couple of years or probably 10 years, you don't mm-hmm. get to be the lead architect or the designer, you get to shadow or help and do the production work, which is very intense. Yeah, I've heard I've heard this about architecture as a career that you're really considered a quote young architect, which a lot of people don't like that term. But mm-hmm. you know, a beginner architect for like a decade for some in some companies. Why is that? Because it's very general and complicated and one mistake might cost millions of dollars Mm. so they're always i don't know i mean it's an interesting question there's a lot of debate around that but they think younger people don't have enough experience and you need years and years and licensure the average age for licensure is or the time the timeline used to be 14 years Mm. to get licensed so it's getting easier with NCAR, making making regulations less restricted. And I think that timeline timeline is getting pushed to 12 years or so. But yeah, so, even, yeah after, <laughs> even after licensure, so you spent 14 years working on studying and licensing and training, apprenticing, sometimes they call it. And then after you get the license between the time you get licensed and 10 years later, you're called young architect, even if you're in your 40s or 50s, whatever. Before that, before you get the license, the 14 years, you don't get to be called architect. You're just called, I don't know, a designer. And in Mm -hmm. in a few years back, they used to call people who are not licensed interns. So you see Mm -hmm. someone who's... uh, Who's who, they have gray hair and they're middle age and mm-hmm. and they're called an architectural intern. So eventually, some clients start like like saying, "Well, I don't want your intern working on right. my project, but my intern is is very experienced. They've been yeah. doing this for over twenty years." So eventually, they decided to change the title from architectural intern to architectural designer or sometimes project manager. Well, that's so interesting. So, okay. So 
But you were working for a couple of firms you you mentioned. When did you Mm -hmm. decide to start your own architecture firm, Tribeca Architects? Well, I cannot start a firm without a license. So Mm -hmm. I I got my training, I got a master's, I got the license, and that was the natural step to go on my own. So I got qualified to uh, run my own firm. But why did you decide to do it yourself? I mean, I know a lot of women want the flexibility because unfortunately, in so many workplaces, it's not friendly toward families and parenting in general. So, you know, even in like, I know, like in the legal career, in the legal field, women often end up going out on their own as a sole practitioner. Is it something like, is this part of the reason that you decided to start your own architecture firm? Or is it just a dream that you had and you you wanted to do this? Yeah, it's a combination of things. And definitely the flexibility is one of, and is one factor. But another important factor is when you're working for a firm, you don't get recognized for what you're doing. Even if you're the lead designer, if you're doing everything yourself, at the end of the day, it's under the firm's name and the principal's name. So whoever the, the firm's principal, you're, they're the ones who get credited for that work. That's also one factor. Flexibility also is another factor. And yeah, I just wanted to <laughs> just yeah. want to have that kind of intellectual freedom. Yeah, I understand that. Well, what has been your biggest challenge in starting the firm? I used to be someone who is focused on studying and also teaching. So I did have some, you know, interactions with students, but I was not networking. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this is something you just need to do when you have your firm. So switching from someone who's focused on exams and studying and just doing the work Mm -hmm. to someone who is going out there, which is something, which is nice, something I envisioned myself. And I I was complaining being in the office, not seeing anyone, (laughs) sitting in front of the computer eight hours a day and not participating in two, you know, interesting events. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was the biggest challenge, how to shift from, I don't know, not necessarily an introvert, but someone who does not have the connections and go out there and build these connections and not be afraid of meeting new people, new clients or prospects or, and also the fear, the fear of what's next? Am I ever going to succeed? Is this business going to grow or that is, <laughs> that is a very, very big burden. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and people starting businesses face that because you're, you are going out on a limb and you are taking a huge risk, both financially and as far as your reputation and just your, your self-confidence really. So how did you, how did you overcome that? Well, I can't say I overcame it 100% yet, but yeah, I'm getting there. I found people who are going through the same things or have been doing this for years. Either they're just starting or they've been doing, building their business. I'm learning from them or at least feeling that you're not alone and you're not doing the wrong thing or someone has went through similar thing. That is really, really helpful. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about your firm? Like what is Trivec Architects all about? What kind of projects are you working on? Are you are you working on the, the sustainable and viable neighborhoods portion of things? That is the goal. That is my field of interest, uh, study and practice in the past. But to say like, I do have these kind of projects yet? No, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> but I want yeah. them. The projects are right now... They range from smaller projects, single family, to I have a school project coming in, well, mixed use, but these are more of additions, retrofit, renovations. But I'm also reaching out to nonprofits to help with, with shelters, affordable housing, and affordable housing that is does not look like affordable housing let's say, apartment buildings that have 50% affordable or subsidized and 50% normal apartments or regular apartments that, that looks nice and efficient and sustainable. And, and I also have a, a focus or, or great interest into improving health and mental health design. So that is, that is the focus of everything I do. It's, so um, improving improving mental health through design is that what you said mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. health what? and mental health, through, health and, um, okay can you talk about that a little bit how do you pr- how do you promote health and mental health through building design so there are a set of, of items that need to we need to look at let's start with indoor air quality there's a lot that needs to be done to improve indoor air quality get fresh air Make sure that there is no mold or there's no moisture in the walls, foundation, or the, uh, the basements, even the roof, the HVAC systems. So that is a major thing that would affect our health directly, not necessarily our, our mental health. Mm-hmm. And since our mental health and physical health are related, uh, there are other things that overlap. So we need, we know that we need uh, sunlight, a lot of sunlight inside. And also we need to be outside, not just having the sunlight inside. So research proof, there's a proof that students who were in classrooms that were naturally lit were, has much better performance than students who had, let's say, a, a mix of natural light and artificial light. Hmm. I'm sitting here uh, in a dark room, a dimly lit room, <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds lovely. Yeah, it, it and also it definitely affects our mood, mm-hmm. especially in the in the morning hours. So we also know that we need two minutes of direct light to our eyes, not that light that comes through the windows. That's great when it comes through the windows. But other than that, we need two minutes outside and that would help our biological clock. And there's a, a spot called the amygdala in the brain that would get, <laughs> that w- will function properly when we have our two minutes of sunlight. Well, I know my daughter completely shifts gears with her mood in the morning when, <laughs> when I'm getting her ready for school. So when she, from when we're in the house to when we're standing outside ready to walk, it's like a whole different kid. So are are you recommending that we actually go outside before we get on with our day? Yeah, yeah, at least two minutes. Uh, uh, that's the, that's the number that we have right now. At least how, two how minutes. Can, how can architecture help us with that? So that's a great question. 
So our buildings, there's a, there's a, there's a science called biophilia. Our buildings need to interact, what's the word? Not interact, <laughs> integrate mm-hmm. with nature. So bringing nature in, that's through probably, I don't know, court, depending on the design or your, your building, your house, a courtyard or views or windows, maybe house plants and a lot of sunlights or skylights. That's one way. Mm-hmm. Again, having views. So uh, integration with nature means sunlight, breeze, plants, a lot of green, and even animals like birds. Mm-hmm. I know some people, if they live close to probably in the suburb or farms, if they have chickens or even pets, cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. All these help our mental health. And even they found that children who, who had autism and when the family moved to, when their families moved to a farm and they were closer to animals, that the children got improved, that the, the symptoms of, of autism has significantly improved if it's not even noticeable. Hmm. So interesting. So yeah, that's how these are the main ways to integrate with nature. You need, you need breeze, sunlight, a lot of green. And if you can have animals or birds, or I have a friend who has a, a bird feeder and she's having hummingbirds, a mm-hmm. lot of hummingbirds all through the summer coming in. You can't see, you can't imagine the joy of looking at them and listening to them. That's so nice. And so these philosophies are something that you incorporate into Trivac? Yes. And these are, these philosophies I incorporate into my designs. And I'm just curious, because I know you're a mom. And so how has parenthood or being a parent or a mom affected your view of architecture or your design ideas? Hmm. Definitely, it made me appreciate ADA design guidelines. Americans with Disabilities Act. Americans with Disabilities Act more than when before I was a mom. Mm-hmm. So uh, moving around with a stroller, if a space was not accessible, it was difficult. If, the, if it's hard to find elevators, bathrooms, how, how to, you know, if the, there's a larger bathroom, especially when she started walking around and needs help in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we used at that point, we used a, the accessible bathroom. Absolutely. Uh, to help. Yeah. Yeah. So we can fit in the stroller and <laughs> all mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that mm-hmm. definitely helped. I mean, it made me appreciate more and be more mindful sometimes. Well, ADA is not a code, it's a civil right. If we're not adhering to it, then the public can um, just file a lawsuit and sue the owner or mm-hmm. the designer. But and sometimes you need to go above and beyond to accommodate or make the design even better. That's so interesting. So, and what about children? Do you ever think, I mean, that part of what you said does involve children and their comfort, especially being able to get them into the bathrooms and things, as you mentioned. But what about the idea of like children's enjoyment? Is that something that you think about in your designs? Yeah, yeah. So when I was doing a lot of research and designing my thesis, for a mixed mixed use development, a lot of 
not a lot. All the apartments I have incorporated uh, safe places for children to place for neighbors. So you don't want, I mean, not necessarily, but children these days did not get, do not get the opportunity to go outside and play with their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And for reasonable reasons, for understandable reasons. So what I did is I provided safe places that can only access by the neighbors themselves, let's say four apartments at a time to have a shared courtyard and definitely excluded for the families to use and people can supervise supervise a play date or even have windows just from the kitchen mommy doing the dishes and can see the children playing in in the yard where there's grass plants playgrounds or whatever toys they want to use yeah see when women get involved in design beautiful things happen i love that i love those ideas that you've had you've had. Okay. So I understand you have a YouTube channel and you're writing a book. So we need to know what is that about? Tell us all about it. It's called Innovative Cities. The the YouTube channel, I think you'll find it under my name, but all the episodes are part of a series called Innovative Cities. And the focus is to build a healthier, just, and more sustainable cities for our children and the future generations. We, I interview people who've done a lot of research for the PhD and still doing research and uh, people who, who are probably social workers, developers who want to do, who want to, you know, make a better world, improve living environment for, uh, let's say, everyone, but also disadvantaged communities let's say homeless or areas where has been neglected inherently, things like that. And tell us again what it's called and where our listeners can find you. Right now, it's only on YouTube. I promote these also on LinkedIn. And I think if you search my name, Isra Banks, Innovative Cities, you will find them on YouTube. Well, Isra Banks, I think we can expect big things from you in the future. And I'm, I'm just so glad you took the time to share what you're working on and your journey with us on the Hazard Girls podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been amazing talking to you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.